HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Robertus in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear umami, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a bit of mystery for many people, and I would like to uh, demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Rick Smith, who is the owner of Sakaya in East Village, the uh, only sake specialized retail shop in the East Coast, and which he runs with his wife and co-owner, Hiroko Furukawa. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks, Akika-san. Good to be here. <laughs> Um, so sake has become very popular in the U.S., and uh, you can even see sake on wine lists at non-Japanese restaurants such as Eleven Madison Park, Lubana Dunn, per se, and other Michelin-style restaurants. But I think uh, most people don't know much um, about sake. So can you please tell us uh, what sake is first? Sure. Sake is a brewed beverage, actually. It's brewed like beer, but um, premium sake, which we sell, uh, drinks like fine wine. So uh, it's, it's made from four basic ingredients, rice, water, yeast, and something called koji, which is necessary for fermentation. Uh, it's also used in things like miso and shoyu, or soy sauce. Um, but uh, it's always made from those four basic ingredients, and uh, it's brewed, as I say. But the brewing process is a little different um, than it is for, say, beer. Um, but... Uh, we can talk about that one. Okay. We don't want to get too geeky here maybe um, right. right away. Well, there's one thing I wanted to uh, mention about uh, water. I heard it's 90% of sake. That's right. Yeah, right. it's predominantly water. And water is, an, is you know important to each and every sake, too, because each brewer has its own unique water source. Mm. Uh, 
which uh, differentiates a sake from any of the others that are out there. Okay. Uh, like terroir, the wine term? Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. The water is probably the closest thing to uh, to what you know terroir is to to wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me. I one time I went to a, a brewery in Hiroshima, and uh, they've been making sake for a long time. And he said uh, the owner said uh, he has a well, and that's the source of their water for making sake. And there's a mountain nearby, and uh, he said it takes 15 years from the wa- for the water to reach from the top of the mountain. To his well, so like contains a lot of minerals and everything throughout the mountain. That journey has everything to do with why the, the way that sake tastes too. Okay, and uh, so the uh, the mold that's the the koji that's the mystery thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people you know have not heard of koji before, but koji is actually uh, something that's it's it's rice that's actually inoculated with a mold called koji kin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are different types of koji kin, but uh, for sake, or nihonshu as it's called in Japan, uh, uh, the primary uh, type of koji used is uh, yellow koji. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll see koji, different types of koji used to make different types of fermented products, as I mentioned before, and also different types of uh, alcoholic beverages mm-hmm. uh, but with sake it's yellow koji so the koji and yeast um, adds some flavors and then the rice rice is uh, can we think that the rice is like uh, grapes you can uh, and as with wine uh, sake eating rice is different from or excuse me eating rice is different from sake brewing rice right, like grapes you don't need uh, wine making grapes because it's too yeah, and you have, you know, there are certain grapes that are only used for, for making wine and certain grapes that are only eaten, and the same holds true for, for rice. Uh, although there are sake made from eating rice, but primarily uh, sake rice or sakamai uh, uh, varieties are, are, are used to make uh, sake, and uh, there are many, many, many different sake rice varietals, too, just as there are many different uh, wine grape varietals. Mm. Well, it sounds like sake, only four ingredients, and it sounds very natural beverage. Yes. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's all, everything that uh, goes into it, um, there's no artificial ingredients whatsoever uh, used in making sake. Great. And uh, so the production method, um, I know that the, you know, the wine has to, uh, the wine sugar is converted straight to alcohol in case of wine, and then because sake is made from grain, you have to convert the starch to um, sugar and then alcohol. So there are two steps. And that's exactly what the role of koji is. Uh, koji is, is 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 needed to break down the uh, starch in the rice part mm-hmm. of the mix of ingredients into those sugars, so that the yeast can eat those sugars and fermentation can occur. Mm. Okay. And uh, the difference between beer and the sake, they are both grain-based and fermented. So what's the difference? Well, beer making, for, again, not getting too much into the, the detail, but beer uh, brewing is a sequential process. One step follows the other. But with sake brewing, there are several steps taking place at the same time in the same tank, and that is specifically the conversion of that starch into sugar and then the yeast acting upon it to create you know alcohol and carbon dioxide so those two things happen at the same time in the same tank and that's called multiple parallel fermentation Mm -hmm. with beer those things 
take place separately and and are done individually in in sequence, as um, I mentioned. Right. Oh, that's why I heard that uh, there are a lot of byproducts uh, from making sake, and then that leads to more flavors. And uh, I was reading an article that byproducts can produce uh, extra flavors, like taste elements. And compared to other beverage, uh, whiskey and brandy has 400 elements, and wine, 600. And sake is 700 to 1,200. So it should be more tasty, in yeah. theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've never heard that, uh, that information before, but... Um there are uh, as many different sake as as you can imagine. I mean, everyone seems... I think the old conception of sake, or many people, or the conception of sake that I had before I was introduced to premium sake, which is what we sell at our shop, uh, was that it was, you know, high in alcohol, uh, always served hot, and you tossed it back like a shot of uh, low-grade uh, distilled spirit. But in fact, these things are very complex and... and uh, and have all the uh, the characteristics that you know that great wines have. Mm. So that you know, the warm sake, high alcohol, because there used to be, I think, in this country, the quality was so bad that you have to warm it up to get the flavor out, and it's a guaranteed recipe for headache and sickness next day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, right? Um, and that's also because people just throw it back, as I say, like a shot, and they drink. <laughs> it goes. Right to the brain when it's uh, well, a because it's warmed, and b because you're uh, imbibing something that has, in the case of the low-grade sake, a lot of extra uh, added alcohol. Premium, uh. premium sake generally range in alcohol content from 15 to 17 percent, which mm-hmm. is higher than wine, but not, you know, higher. Than, there are certain wines that are that high in alcohol right. as well. So uh, it's it's not many people have the the idea that that sake is very high in alcohol, but I think it's because they think they're thinking of those things that you know the we were just talking about the low-grade things that were drunk mm. drunk quickly and drunk hot and right uh, so what what changed the the market in terms of you know more higher premium sake is available uh in japan and here too yeah i think uh f- well a few things have gone on but i think you know the uh, in the united states um the appreciation for wine uh, has changed uh, quite a bit over the last 20 to 30 years. And I think, you know, that sort of track uh, exists as well for premium sake. And I think people who are into wine uh, have discovered that, you know, hey, here's another, as I did, in fact, is, uh, here's another beverage that has, you know, all that sort of, you know, interest uh, and complexity and intrigue and, you know, you know variety and, you know that uh, that you know stimulates that kind of you know appreciation, and also it's it's uh, I think uh, a beverage that uh, you know people has, have misunderstood for quite some time. So when they taste something that's really you know wonderful, they go, "Wow, this is not what I thought it was." I got to dig a little more deeply into this. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense because they're more expensive Japanese restaurants, especially since uh, Nobu started uh, be becoming popular in the 80s and mm-hmm. then high-end sophisticated japanese cuisine is might almost like status symbol and i think masa uh in taiwan building in new york mm-hmm. it's your check average can be 600 dollars per person <laughs> and so is sake right? but you don't have to pay that much for sake you definitely don't uh, there's there i mean 
again, it, it's all a matter of personal preference too. I mean, there there are sake to appeal to every different taste that you know might people might have, uh, or for one person, you might desire something at one time that you you know in a different sake at another time. It's all a matter of, as we like to say, of the mood, the food, the time, the place, the time of day, right. uh, the season. All those things you know can play into it, and you can drink something. Uh, that uh, responds to that inclination and never duplicate. <laughs> so, uh, so now your personal, you know, how did you get into sake then? Yeah. Well, it was as I was sort of alluding to a minute ago, and that is, uh, I was I was a wine enthusiast for a long time, and about 18 years ago, uh, at the time I was the associate publisher of Food and Wine magazine, and uh, we had written a story about. Uh, Opening of a new sushi restaurant in the East Village called uh, Jewel Baco, which is still mm-hmm. there today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to bring that that story a lot to life, we uh, took a group of um, our clients to there for dinner, and we were offered sake to go with our our dinner. And I said, "No way! I don't want that hot jet fuel." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the owner uh, said, "No, wait! We have premium sake. It's 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 fine. It's like a fine wine." I'm like, "Come on! You're kidding me!" He says, "No, like here we'll." We'll, we'll pour some for you to try, and sure enough, like that was the aha moment for me. I was I was stunned, you know, to find that mm-hmm. sake or premium sake uh, had all the uh, attractive qualities that that brought made me uh, such a wine fan. So I delved more deeply into it and yeah. started looking for places to to buy it and to try it and to to talk to people about it. And uh, there really weren't. Yeah, and the, do many you places remember, in New York. <laughs> do you remember what kind of addition sake you had at that time? I actually do, and it's it's kind of funny because the name the name is something. That, well, in Japanese, it's Oni no Shiroburui, mm-hmm. which is means devil's quivering tongue, loosely <laughs> translated. So <laughs> when you hear that, you don't forget it very easily. <laughs> and I since met the, the I've been to the brewery where that sake is made, and yeah. you know, in the last several years, and uh, I always tell them that story too. They get a kick out of it. Right. <laughs> I'm sure it's not what's given to. <laughs> um, okay. And, and it's, uh, by the way, it's not. It's not a. It's it's a good sake. It's not a great sake. It's a. It's sort of an everyday uh, um, type of, of brew. But the, the but it was markedly better than anything I had had up until that point. So mm. it's really a great sort of toe in the water to get you know to start uh, my exploration into you know what was out there. Right. Um, and then you decided to open a sake shop, which is a big jump. Rather than just staying as a big lab of sake, you, what made you to decide well, to open it? Well, my wife Hiroko and I found that in our search to you know try all these things and learn about them, that there was really no place in, in New York where... I mean, there were places that sold sake, but and there's a large market in, in New Jersey that sells a pretty big variety of them, but there still was nobody there mm-hmm. uh, that could answer your questions or, or teach you or, or, or guide you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did most of that on our own, but um, there was and still is uh, the first uh, sake-only shop in the United States in San Francisco uh, called True Sake, and uh, I had been there and for my work mm-hmm. uh, at Timken? Food and Wine. Bo uh, Timken? Right. He's very famous on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. He's well. He's he's famous everywhere because he's he's a sake zealot. He's mm. and he and he was really helpful to us in, in getting started. And uh, he um, 
but I met him when I first, you know, had my aha moment and uh, walked into his shop and it was just, he was there alone. It was, you know, they were fairly new at that point and, uh, and uh, he, he uh, you know, helped me uh, understand a little bit more and I thought, you know, it's just, it's wild that there's a place in San Francisco like this, but there is no such place in New York, a much bigger city mm. with like eight to ten times the population and certainly, um, you know, a, a place where people are always adventurous and curious and looking to learn about new things or to, to delve into things more deeply. And I thought what a opportunity it would be to create something like this in a place that I, where the reception would have to be, you know, as good as at least it was in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> so, but I'm sure it was, uh, you know, you needed the courage to quit your job and open a place. Well, it was, yeah, it wasn't, and, 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 and you know, as time has gone on, that, that little time frame feels like it got compressed a little bit, but actually it was several years between the time that uh-huh. you know, I actually first tried this, and, and when we you know, we opened our shop in, in December 2007, and, and it was probably 2000, you know, it was around 2000 that I first had the sake experience that changed my direction, but... Mm. Um, and during the course of that time, we were trying things and learning and right. so forth. So, uh, yeah, it took some time, and then we, we were neither one of us had any experience with opening a shop, or, mm-hmm. or uh, so we had to. Uh, we had a lot of help and a lot of great, you know, people to uh, to draw uh, as a resource. But we we've now been open almost eight years. Mm, congratulations! Oh, thank you. And uh, so, how many uh, uh, types of sake? How many labels do you carry? We have uh, about 140 different uh, sake uh, labels, um, and uh, that's we we sort of we do things a little differently too. We don't we we focus very um, closely on the um, the smaller producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the they would be like the the, the craft or micro brewers uh, right. in in the beer world, you could say. Mm-hmm. But uh, also the I wanted to mention, you know, the sake industry in Japan is actually kind of being de- declining, and probably because people stop drinking sake. You know, there's no corporate big corporate accounts or younger generations not drinking mm-hmm. much sake, but. Uh, we have to support them. So someone like you is doing it. It's great. Well, that's, yeah, and that's what our mission and, and that of the mission of all of us here in the United States who are um, promote and encourage people to try sake. I mean, it's, and it, one of the important things, too, is that we're supporting those brewers, but we're also supporting, you know, a Japanese tradition, and we're also a, a means of, for people to learn about Japanese culture. So once they get into sake, you know, you're, you're sort of, your field of, interest starts to expand because you realize that this beverage you know comes from a place mm-hmm. where it has a long and valued uh, history and uh, and it touches in a lot of areas of Japanese life and Japanese culture mm-hmm. so the more you learn about sake the more you learn about Japan mm, it's almost uh, purely craftsman like when it comes to very high-end sake really handmade and people has been doing it I, I met a guy who was 19th generation and his family, whole family, doing it for five centuries or something, and <laughs> yeah, there are there are, and that's that's we kind of like you open your eyes when you hear something like that. But there, and it's not uncommon to have families there that have been in this business for, as you say, nineteen 
1319. There's a, a family in um, in Ibaraki Prefecture that uh, that make a sake uh, called Satono Homare. It's a Junmai Ginjo sake. They make others, of course, too. But the name of the brewer is Sudo Honke, and they uh, have been in business for 55 generations. <laughs> It's I that's just people. like <laughs> well, that's American then. <laughs> how can you like? <laughs> I think it takes you back to like the year eight hundred or something. Needless to say, the sake has is not the same as it was then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, at your store, who are buying you the sake? You know, our it, it's funny because we have a lot of people say, "Well, who is your typical customer?" And there is no such thing. Our customers are as diverse as the city of New York and its visitors, uh, and in fact. It's versus the United States because we ship all over the country and uh, we have people ordering from us from every state that allows it. Um, but just as, I mean, just imagine, you know, the city and all the different types of people that, that live here and come here to visit, and that's the, those are the people who walk through our doors and actually, you know, buy from us. We have regular customers from, you know, uh, Brazil and from, wow. from, uh, from, Europe and from Mexico and Canada, and they come regularly year after year. I mean, it's not just the you know, occasional stop in. Oh, here's a sake shop. Buy a bottle of sake. Oh, and wow. they, they come back and they they buy, you know, you know, to to meet their needs every year. Because there's no other sake only shop in the west coast and uh, the east coast. And where there are only four in the entire country, and and the other three are in in the west coast, and mm -hmm. in, there's one in Hawaii. Okay. And the other two are True Sake, which we mentioned in a, in, a, in a place in Seattle called Sake Nomi. Okay. And then it's easy to remember the name of the place in Hawaii because it's called the Sake Shop, <laughs> <laughs> which is what our name means in Japanese, Sakaya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably that's more authentic. <laughs> right. So um, now we're taking a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the flavors and uh, food pairings for sake. So please stay with us. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. My guest today is Rick Smith, the owner of Sakaya, a sake-only retail shop in East Village. Um, so we've been talking about sake and uh, what you sell at Sakaya. So let's talk about how to drink it. Um, the, the flavors, um, I think we didn't talk about how you know, the rice is processed. So sake rice, the a grain is milled down. 
So That's maybe right. you can talk about that. Sure, absolutely. The uh, yeah, sake rice, as we were saying before, is different from eating rice, and uh, in the the main one of the main differences is that the starch in sake rice is concentrated in the core of the grain, whereas with eating rice, it's sort of diffused throughout. But surrounding that core of starch in the sake rice are vitamins, fats, proteins, mm. things that influence that produce flavor. Mm. Um, so the rice is milled to produce a particular flavor profile, although the other elements in making sake also contribute to it. But the outer part of that rice grain, the more of that that's milled away or polished away, mm. the more refined the, f the flavor of the sake, the higher the grade mm -hmm. of the sake, which in premium sake there are grades predicated on the rice milling rates. Mm -hmm. It and sounds then, like because outer side has flavors, it doesn't necessarily mean that the more milled down, the better. That's right. A lot of people mistake that, mm -hmm. make that, you know, draw that conclusion, and you're absolutely right, because it just means that the, the, sake, the sake that have less highly, use less highly milled rice have more flavor, mm -hmm. and they tend to be the, the sake, actually, that go well with more fully flavored foods, so, mm -hmm. and uh, they tend to have more umami, in fact, you know, that sort right. of, that flavor characteristic that mm -hmm. uh, is so uh, prevalent in, in uh in many Japanese right. foods. I actually see the less milled down sake, to me, is like red wine to, when it comes to pairings because the richer mm -hmm. the flavor, you can pair uh, less milled sake even with meat or chicken, that kind of heavier uh, uh, ingredients. Absolutely, or with uh, pizza oh. or, or with, uh, you know, red pasta sauce or things that, you know, uh, aren't necessarily... Japanese, but and that's one of the things that we try to encourage at our shop too, is that you know, pairing sake with not just Japanese or even just Asian food, but with food from all over the world, mm -hmm. because so, it actually works. Right. So the you know listeners who haven't tried uh, sake, so what's the less milled type and more milled type? Can you just name some? Yeah. The uh, well, the the name for the grade of the less milled type is is junmai, or uh, which means uh, pure rice means pure rice or it's and, and there's a, a, a counterpart to junmai called honjozo which means the same milling rate but different uh, or, or has a little bit of alcohol added when making the mm -hmm. sake and the reason for the addition of the alcohol by the way is not to increase the alcohol content but to uh, draw out a particular flavor or aromatic quality in the mm -hmm. sake so as you you know junmai or junmai shu uh, have uh, or honjozo have fuller flavors mm -hmm. and uh you know, there again, there's a whole universe of different flavor profiles within mm -hmm. that, but they uh, they go very well with the kinds of foods we were talking about, meats and, mm. and poultry and roasted and braised things and so right. forth. Right. So the difference between junmai and uh, honjozo, the honjozo is smoother because uh, more alcohol, the sake is added? Or? It's hard to generalize um, mm. because, the, again, it sort of depends on the individual sake, but uh, you could say that they might have a little, they might be a little bit... Um, drier sometimes, mm. uh, have a little bit more of a drier finish. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be a little more aromatic, you know, draw because the, the addition alcohol being more soluble in water draws out characteristics like aromas uh, in, in a particular sake, depending upon the, mm. the so, yeast that's used and so forth. But right. uh, um, Of course, depending on which uh, brewery, you're going to have different flavors. There are also sake called... Uh, 
Yamahai and Kimoto, mm -hmm. which are uh, sake that are made by two older brewing processes. Uh, and I won't go into those details either, except to say that the result is that these are sake that have uh, a little bit earthier flavors, a little bit more acidity to them, uh, a little bit more um, uh, bolder flavors, again, that tend to match up very well with food and with things like cheeses mm. uh, or, or, again, like the pizzas I mentioned before or, or with uh, uh, you know, tomatoes, you know, things that have umami in them also. Mm. They, send, they just pair up so well. So Yamaha and Kimoto sake, within that, particularly the realm of Junmai, mm -hmm. have really great food pairing uh, qualities to mm. them. Because there's more umami elements, it's easier to pair with other umami elements. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so what's the more milled down sake? <laughs> As you go, as you use more and more highly milled rice, you get you know more delicate and complex types of flavor profiles. Um, the next level above Junmai and Honjozo would be Junmai Ginjo and Ginjo, for no alcohol added and alcohol mm -hmm. added. So when you types. say Junmai, it means pure rice, and then Junmai. Anytime you see the term Junmai, it always means no alcohol added mm -hmm. or pure rice. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and at the top grade, there's Junmai Daiginjo and Daiginjo, which is the super premium sake that's the most expensive, but it's also the most complex and the most uh, uh, made in much smaller quantities and more handcrafted and higher quality ingredients and hence are more expensive and might be analogous to, let's say, um, Grand Cru mm. wines. Right. And delicate. This some yeah, some are de some are very delicate. Others, you know, might have a little bolder, you know, intense sorts of flavor profiles too. Oh. It, it, uh, but they tend to be more complex. They tend to have more uh, layers to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, but that's again the great one of the great things about sake is that there are exceptions to everything. Oh. <laughs> so you have to learn by drinking a lot more. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the best way. Right. Um. Okay, so now, uh, how do you describe the flavors of sake? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, I think. Uh, we try to explain them in our shop uh, in terms that people are familiar with. So uh, they tend to be terms that, that relate to wine, but there are certain flavor components or aromatic qualities to sake that you, know, you don't necessarily find in, in, uh, in the wine vernacular. So we, we draw on... Um, you know, elements that are things that are like those flavors, because we try to, we're always trying to demystify and make these things more accessible. So we won't, um, you know, even the term umami, which we've been throwing around here because we both know what it means, mm -hmm. uh, not everybody that comes into the shop understands that concept. Mm -hmm. But if you say it's like, it's, the, it's what makes, you know, Parmesan Reggiano taste mm -hmm. or, or, uh, certain types of cured meats or mushrooms or mm -hmm. it's the element that distinguish those flavors then people go aha okay now i see so we try to use those terms you know things that people can relate to from their other life experiences that haven't necessarily included sake mm -hmm. to bring them closer to understanding what these things taste like mm -hmm. so um but i think uh you know there are some measurements right to to be able to guess uh usually in the back label there's a kind of chart in there are. Uh, it, well, sometimes, you know, it's one of the things that's un, that probably could use a little bit more help in, in the world of sake, and that is the, the labels. But uh, 
Yeah, there are there's certain what you might call vital statistics, you mm -hmm. know, about each sake that are that would be the milling rate of the rice and and something called um, SMV or sake meter value, which mm -hmm. is a statistical. Uh, indicator of sweetness or dryness. So the mm -hmm. higher the number of the SMV, the drier the sake. Mm. I heard that the plus five and above tend to be dry. It's hard to really, again, like generalize, but I would even go further. I would say plus 10 or above, mm -hmm. or plus eight or above maybe. Um, but again, you know, the dryness, the perception of dryness or sweetness can be influenced by other factors in the sake. Mm. So it's hard to just you know, use the numbers for when it comes to SMV. Mm. Uh, and we, we try to steer people away from just using that alone. But if you, if you, like, as we were saying a minute ago, if you drink a lot of sake and that's mm -hmm. the best way to learn, then you'll start to know that, oh, I, I understand now that, you know, a plus 10 and this with this with a light bodied sake is going to be very different from a, it might taste drier than a plus eight with a fuller bodied sake mm. or plus 12 with a fuller bodied sake, I right. should say. Okay, and uh, I heard also there's a acid degree. It's called the sando, and uh, amino acid degree. That means uh, you know acidity mm -hmm. that affects how you perceive sweetness. And uh, amino acid degree is kind of measuring protein, like umami elements. Yeah, and those you don't always see on the labels, unfortunately. Uh, those you have to dig a little deeper for in many cases. There's certain certain uh, importers or, or distributors put those on their labels, but not so many. Mm. Um, if you can read Japanese, you can go to the website of the sake brewer <laughs> and find that information, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's not always so readily available. But um, again, that's the sort of yeah. Those are those are terms uh, along with the the milling rate, the uh, the sake meter value, or the nihon shudo as it's known in Japanese, um, and uh, that can guide you a little bit. And then there's also, of course, the the alcohol content mm. um, and with regard to that, actually, there's an important thing to kind of remember. If you, uh, and that's the term genshu. Mm. Um, most sake, when sake is brewed, uh, is made, is uh, at the end of the process after pressing, is diluted with water to bring the alcohol content down to about 15 to 17 percent. Um, if it's not diluted, that's where the, when the term genshu is used to describe the sake. So mm -hmm. an undiluted sa sake that is undiluted usually, but not always, has higher alcohol content. Like? Can be, you know, uh, 18 to 20. Yeah. I, have, I have one sake in the shop that's actually 21% alcohol. That's the oh. highest I've ever seen uh, for, you know, a, a sake. Right. <laughs> but, so that means the more intense flavors concentrated flavors too it does indeed uh and it's in the the intent of the brewer is not just to create a higher alcohol sake the reason a sake would be made uh, in the gensho genshu uh, form would be because all the other components in the sake allow it to still be very balanced even with a higher alcohol level so that means probably as you were saying stronger flavors um more uh you know vibrant flavors maybe it's an unpasteurized sake that you know has enzymes still active from fermentation that give it a vibrancy or a brashness that you know that can kind of withstand a higher alcohol level right. so the genshu uh do you think uh, you can drink it on the rock or just by itself um some I've seen certain sake sold that way, but I don't, I mean, yeah, if you want to, but I would say just drink it by itself and right. enjoy it for the way the brewer meant it to be, to be uh, right. enjoyed. Don't mess with it, then just drink it. <laughs> right. 
Okay. And、uh, so now, food pairings, what's your suggestion? Like, do you have any general rules? I think it's sort of,、um, you know, in Japan, I don't think there was, there's this, only recently has this idea of food pairing kind of taken root, I think, because I think historically and traditionally, sake was such a regionalized or localized、um, uh, beverage that people drank and ate, drank the sake that was produced in their own area and And it went perfectly with the food there because that was produced in their own area,、mm. too. So they tended to go together, and there was no need to kind of think about it. But as, as things have become more available from different parts of the country in Japan, and of course in this, in here where we get foods and ingredients and beverages from all over the world, there's much more attention paid to this. But、um, I would say, you know, for the most part, you would drink. You know, as you would imagine, lighter, lighter, lighter beverages with lighter foods and richer beverages with richer foods.、Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of similarities. Right.、But、so, lighter are, means that、uh, the grain is more milled down. So, ginjo dai ginjo and the lighter food versus junmai or honjozo, a little heavier. With the richer food.、Um, and then, of course, the, there are, there's the idea of. Salt and sweet kind of combinations, too. So, if you have a sweeter sake, maybe you want to drink that with a, with a saltier dish. Like,、uh, what kind of? Oh, if, if you have, uh,、um, uh, you know, some of the unpasteurized sake can be sweet, and then you might、uh, drink them with,、uh, you know, with a, a, you know, a, a maybe a Southeast Asian sort of food, which has a little bit, you know, has,、mm-hmm. tend to use fish sauce, which has a little kind、right. of saltier. Malaysian or Vietnamese. Yeah, or, you know, even Thai if it's not too spicy, but there、mm-hmm. are certain. You know, if you have a really strong, bold namagenshu sake that has、mm-hmm. a lot of fruity quality to it, you could、right. drink that with、uh, mm-hmm. like a spicy Thai dish.、Right. Oh, and also nigori, that's、uh, unpasteurized. That's the... Well, it's actually what people refer to as unfiltered.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, nigori is, you know, it's cloudy,、mm-hmm. of course.、Um, but、uh, nigori sake、uh, also has kind of a sweetness, and then and its texture actually,、mm-hmm. you know, kind of helps. Because it's got the rice solids left in it, so those, that texture of nigori sake、uh, can stand up to some of those, you know, those spicier foods or、mm-hmm. those you know, fiery things. Right. Okay. And、uh, well, actually,、uh, recently I had a, a little cheese class with sake pairings、uh, with a French cheese board, which is a French、uh, cheese trade organization. And、uh, we did uh, a junmai、um, and the mimolette. And the combination created、uh, butterscotch flavor, which never appeared in you know, each single one of them.、Mm. So, yeah, this sake is very subtle compared to you know, big tannin in grapes or things like that. And、uh, it was surprising. I, I think、uh, sake is more forgiving. You can't miserably fail pairings. <laughs> That's right. I think I would agree with that 100%. And it's.、Um Yeah, and, and, and I think a lot of people are, you know, to your point about cheese, a lot of people are really astounded by the fact that sake goes so well with cheese, or to hear it, they're astounded. But then once you try it, I mean,、um, and it's usually the creamier cheeses that tend to, to pair up real nicely with things like the Yamahai and Kimoto sake I was talking about before. But then, you know, some of the, the fruitier sake can pair well with, you know, some lighter flavored things, or, or if you have a you know, really bold, you know, Uh, Namagenshu again, that, you know, with the、uh, Parmesan Reggiano, the, 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 you know, the, the、uh, saltier cheeses like、mm. that. So it's, it's a great 
it's a fun thing to delve into, and I'm glad to hear that the uh, the French uh, cheese board and <laughs> and sake folks are getting together. Yeah. We just tried and then worked out. So <laughs> I think yeah, it's you never know what kind of things work with sake, and I think American uh, people are more creative in terms of you know trying things, new things. It's yeah, it's the exploration, you know, that's the fun of it all, and uh, you know, there's a little bit of a hesitation at first i think because uh people you know they want to make sure they get something that they're going to like mm -hmm. um but uh if you i think the more you uh you delve into it the the more you'll find that you like a lot of different things right so the in terms of uh, vessels what kind of glass or cups do you recommend well you know there's two ways to, there's a number of ways to go about it but uh the uh i always recommend actually if you're just drinking at home i, I suggest you know, a wine glass, a white mm -hmm. wine glass, because it's tapered usually, and it has that way you can be sure to get the benefit of the flavors and the and the aromatic qualities of the sake. Mm -hmm. But there's a great deal of fun and tradition involved in in the customary way of drinking with the ochoco, the small cups, or or with uh, small sake glasses, because the tradition of pouring for each other in, mm -hmm. in Japan and showing you know companionship and hospitality and generosity and being together and you know Aye. that with the small cups. You pour more often, so you're showing more of that, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, enjoyment of being, you know, together in a, in, a, in, a, in a warm, you know, companionship sort of situation. Right. And uh, lastly, the temperature. So that's, uh, generally speaking, it's about white wine, the same, like 40, 44 Fahrenheit? Yeah, I always, we say it's, it's very easy to drink all the premium sake that we sell, at least, you know, slightly chilled. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are also, of course, a number of them that can be drunk at a variety of temperatures. There are mm -hmm. certain sake, uh, premium sake, again, um, that can be drunk warmed as well as chilled or warmed room temperature and chilled. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to experiment and try them, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but those tend to be the things that are um, that uh, not so much the uh, complex Junmai Ginjo and, and Junmai Daiginjo or, uh. or Daiginjo sake. They tend to be the, the Junmai and the Honjozo that you right. can do that with. or Usually, the rule of thumb for warming things is if they're if they're either very on the dry side mm -hmm. or on the bold flavored side, those you can warm. But if they're fruity or on the sweet side, you don't want to warm or complex. You don't okay. want to warm them. Great. All right. So thank you for joining us today, Rick, and uh, I'll see you soon at Sakaya. I look forward to Akiko-san. Arigatou gozaimashita. Thank you. And uh, for listeners, uh, if you'd like to know more about Rick's store, please visit uh, www.sakayanyc.com. That's S-A-K-A-Y-A-N-Y-C dot com. And if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can also reach me at akikokatayama.com. Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.